Have you ever stopped to think that virtually everything we use in our daily lives is based on technology? Even further, do you understand the software behind this technology? Welcome to The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. In today's program, you'll hear how software is created and implemented, why it's written the way it is, and learn from its success stories, proven best practices, and significant failures. Now, here is your host, Martin Lacey. Hi, and welcome back to The Art of Software. I'm Martin Lacey, and I'm here today to have a really interesting show uh, talking with Paul Twig. Um, I'm really pleased to have Paul back on the show. He's the VP of Technology and Innovation for Sierra Systems. He's a motivational and inspirational leader who is forward-thinking, dynamic, and an experienced security-cleared technology executive who specializes in creating technology strategy to develop creative and innovative cloud architecture and customer-centric services, which are tailored towards increasing efficiency and reducing uh, costs within an organization. Uh, Paul, thanks for joining me. It's really good to see you again. Thanks, Martin. It's good to be back. Now, in this week's show, we're going to talk about um, uh, software ROI, return on investment. And what I'd like to do is talk about or explore the practicalities, realities, and in, in addition, wishful thinking, engaging the return on investment for software projects. Now, I'd like to look at um, the impact of, uh, of, of the investment in software development itself from the business uh, side of things all the way to personal development and mentorship. Uh, also look at the various calculation methods, quantitative and qualitative, to look at uh, the, the short-term and strategic benefits that, uh, that are brought to bear with uh, adopting software within your business. So um, just as a backdrop and kind of give us a talking starting point, uh, I wanted to bring forward something that um, uh, uh, the CEO of GE told his shareholders in 2013, which was, um, as he spoke with the shareholders, he he stated that we believe that every industrial and sorry, every industrial company will become a software company. And then later in, 2000, in uh, uh, 2016, he doubled down when he moved the GE's head headquarters to, from Fairfield, Connecticut, to Boston, hoping to gather a larger swath of higher class talent in the software profession. So you can see this is really a key backdrop for software or for companies learning to move uh, their business and, and jump ahead of the game. Um, so, Paul, you know, you're... you're keenly involved in helping companies get a technical advantage or a, a strategic advantage. Um, how much does the software come into play when you talk about helping them, you know, get over that hump or make it to the next level? That's a, that's a great question. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, even today it's accelerated, right? So we go back again, 10 years and software was very much a speciality. It was something that software house did. Uh, you look now and every organization is doing it. Why? Because IOT is out there, right? And I think yeah. almost every conversation that I'm involved in now is how do I get IOT? I had a CIO of a, of a large energy organization, uh, one of the largest in Canada, actually, uh, tell me just a couple of weeks ago. You know, she said, teach me how to implement cheap and cheerful I- IOT, right? Because... <laughs> She's like, I, I know I know we can do it. We just need to understand what it is. They need to become a software development company to be able to implement cheap and cheerful IoT. 
Yes. And is it just the IoT that you're seeing this, uh, you know, being companies being pulled in? I know that just the the amount amount of data, which is I find I drool over when we talk about IoT and you know any of these connected devices, uh, just the the volume of data that you can analyze and make uh, intelligent observations and then forward think what that could mean to people. Uh, just it's just a sea of abundance right now. You know, as a, I think as a CIO in an organization. Data is going to be your number one story, 2018, 2019, 2020. Uh, the IoT is driving that, cloud is driving that. Uh, a lot of these innovation uh, projects are, are really driving that. But data is the story. And, and really, what's the question? The question is, I got all this data. What do I do with it? I was on a call this morning, and uh, the guys were telling me, 200 terabytes of data, and I need to analyze it. Well, what's it doing right now? It's just sitting there doing nothing. And so you you look at all that knowledge that's in that data that we can start predicting from, and it's a brand-new business line for this organization. Yeah, and and that's really the the thing, just the volume of data that now is – it's just at the fingertips. I mean, it, it it was out of reach before. And now in this past, you know, two years or so, we're starting to see not only to be able to get at that data, but also to present it, manipulate it, and do intelligent things with it, analyze it. Well, it's looking at the the anomaly detection or the pattern inside that data, right? So, you're we. I think as humans, we can detect those patterns fairly easily, but the volume of data doesn't allow us to detect those patterns. And this is why, you know, the the CEO of GE, when he made those comments about becoming a software development company, that is, is reality now for the majority of organizations. How do they go through and implement these large-scale data projects that are making um, making it possible for them to make new business lines, right? They have to become a software development company, take that data right from its raw format all the way into something that can be analyzed and understood well. Yes, and so when, when, you're, when companies come and talk to you and they realize that there's this massive amount of data they're great potential um how you know what kind of companies are are, are the first ones to start seeing this or do they already have devices out there or are they are, are they um medical side you know because there's all kinds of uh, devices out there already or are these up-and-coming companies that are looking at the opportunities with new devices I, you know, it, it's it's interesting is is that question because typically you look at government organizations and say you know they they've got to be wise in spending taxpayers' money so they're not always on using bleeding edge technologies. What we're actually seeing though is because governments collect that much data that it's actually governments that are leading the charge with some of these newer technologies uh, that are out there. Uh, we're also seeing uh, privacy become an issue, right? So especially up here in Canada. Uh, as organizations try and look at what data they can collect, you know, you look at facial recognition as an example, something that's now exploding uh, yeah. there. But what happens to that face when it gets stored on the internet? Is it secure? Can it be reused elsewhere? And, you know, so for example, with one client, now we're, we're looking at uh, implementing blockchain with facial recognition and doing a whole bunch of stuff around identity. That, that's really cool. And how are you finding the the integration with blockchain then, uh, you know, with with all this real time data? Because blockchain has got all these inherent um, uh, performance restrictions just to get on, just to submit your 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 activity. 
by you know performance restrictions and a whole bunch of other restrictions, right? So blockchain yeah. is not a transactional database. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but you look at the immutability uh, of it, and you know it becomes all about the trust. You know, so these large monolithic databases that get built uh, by you know, especially in governments, but you know, by large organizations, that question of who can I share that data with and what can I share that data with, often results in a ten-year privacy project of trying to figure out how secure the data is. If we can take that data and put it into the hands of the holder of the data, the the, the client, the individual that owns that data, they can then be responsible for deciding where where and when it should be shared, and that's all. Ultimately, I think what the blockchain is enabling is that trust between, again, another reason why every organization, even non-IT organizations, need to become software development companies. Yes, I, I, that's an absolutely very cool marriage of getting the blockchain in there for you know the, the security aspect of it. And you know now today where everyone wants to control their own data and empowering people to have that ability to control that at that data at not just the you know the facebook level my who my id is and you know a few page clicks but actually get deeper in that and get into your medical records and and things of of that nature so that you could actually be in control of uh, the, the the doctors the medical community who have access to your 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 um, you know x-rays and mris and so forth yeah, exactly. It's, you know, who who do I trust with my data? How long, uh, you know, how safe is my data? Right? If I'm walking around with my own personal health data on my phone, but I lose my phone, uh, that is that yeah. data still safe? Uh, you know, there's a there's potentially information that shouldn't be shared with other other parties. You know, is it easy enough to understand for me to know how to share that information? You know, you look with the recent. Um, uh, exposure of certain social media sites of how they've collected data on people and then exposed it and and shared it with other organizations yet users have agreed to it but not really understood what they're agreeing to right and so these are some of the concerns that they have to get over yeah and that, that kind of falls back or has a history behind it too you know to, uh, software agreements and accepting software licenses They've gone so long, and all you do is look for the little checkbox at the end somehow or other <laughs> and click it on. So it'd be, it, we've all become kind of you know, droned into uh, this repetitive nature of dealing with software. Yeah, of course it's good. I can't use it unless I say okay. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I, I don't know how to read those things, right? I think that's the general consensus. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so you know, empowering people to take that control, I think, is uh, a real um, I have an absolute benefit to, to this kind of technology. Um, when you talk with your government or organizations, oh, I think we're going to have to go for a break there, Paul. I, I got a, a warning there. I think we got one minute left, so let's just see where we can go with this. And Sounds good. <laughs> um, so in, in talking about the adoption uh, of the cloud and trying to move government-type organizations to to the cloud and, and dealing with all those you know, fears of, of jeopardizing the d- data there. H- how do you broach that topic? How, you know, security is so important. And so governments, are, are they like building software themselves? Are they hiring consultants such as yourself to come in and, and help them move that, uh, that rock along? Yeah, you're seeing a massive increase in that security profile, right? Because, you know, the the focus now for a CIO is not ultimately on 
how do I stop people getting at my data? It is how do I control access to my data? And there's two very different, very different questions, right? Ten years ago, I wanted to make sure nobody ever got access to my network. Uh, yeah. Now I need to look at how do I control access to my network, knowing full well that people will get access to it and being able to monitor the data that comes off it. Maybe when we come back after one of the breaks here, I'll, I'll share with you, you know, what we consider the five C's of innovation. And ultimately, what we think organizations should be looking at when they look at uh, identifying the value of software development inside those organizations. Excellent. I think that's exactly what we'll, what we'll come back to. That sounds fantastic. Thanks very much for joining me, Paul. Uh, we're just going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be back with Paul Twig from Sierra Systems. Uh, this is a very interesting and compelling show. Hopefully, uh, people will be empowered to join the software movement. Thanks, Paul. We'll, we'll be right back. Thanks, Martin. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. How is your company's marketing plan? Could it use a little help? For most businesses, the answer is yes. Tune in each week to Marketing That Won't Break the Bank. Host Janet Kunst and her guests will show you how and where to bring your marketing to the next level. Each show will feature action strategies that you can implement right away and see results. We'll make this easy for you. Start by tuning in every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Join host Sandy Giroux each week for Leadership and Life. This program illustrates different aspects of leadership and shows you how it's not just confined to the workplace or even our job duties. You'll hear more about the human side of leadership, which includes connecting on a non-work-related level. In fact, a lot of what happens on this level definitely affects how leaders are viewed as such. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. You are tuned into The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. To connect with the show today, you may call into 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. 
472-5790. If you'd prefer to send an email, you may send it to m.lacy at lacytechnology.com. Now, back to The Art of Software. Welcome back to The Art of Software. I'm here talking with Paul Twig, uh, Vice President of Technology and Innovation at Sierra Systems. Uh, we're going over the return on investment for software development, basically talking about how you can uh, not necessarily sell, but demonstrate the value of bringing a software projects in-house, turning your business into something that understands and appreciates the software process and can take advantage of the market that's emerging, all the data, all the possibility, all the potential. Um, and, you know, Paul is deep in, into that and he's helping businesses achieve and governments uh, achieve their data realizations. And uh, so I want to get right back into what, where we left off just before the break, uh, Paul, and you're going to bring us up to date with what, uh, what uh, Sierra System calls the five C's. Yeah, five C's of innovation, you know, so you know, ultimately, and, and I think you relate these to software development, right, is sh- should I code, should I go buy, you know, a COTS product, should I go out to a consulting company and just uh, have somebody else uh, develop that, and, you know, ultimately, it all comes back down to value or return on return on investment, right, That that's where yeah. this lives. So, you know, we look at five these five C's, and, you know, we, we advise our clients to Look at each of these seasons. Say, make sure you've got a story around them because each of these ultimately represent what the total value of that software is. So, most people, when they look at return on investment, ultimately look at how much does it cost to create a project. You know, how much are we going to save from other costs after we've created that product or that project, and that becomes a return on investment. But yeah. They miss all sorts of things when they start to look at that, right? A lot of the soft values. So here, here are the five C's, right? First one is compute, right? So you, the ability to uh, be able to create calculations, to compute values uh, there. Why? Well, it costs an awful lot of money to put a SAN in an organization, as an example, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you got to look at the compute. you got to look at capacity, Right, you know, going back to my comment earlier on, a couple of hundred terabytes, can I do it? Well, if yeah. that's a one-year procurement process, that's now 500 terabytes. It's not 200. How are we planning for that? And IT admins do a great job of making sure they've always got 90% capacity available. That's a lot of money sat down and wasted, right? Yeah. Uh, we look at creativity. So the third C is all about creativity uh, there because we realize when we're designing software now, we're designing software actually for three to five years from now. It's right. not for now, right? Uh, the, the next one is our connectivity. So we're, we're being shown more and more now that connectivity is a bigger and bigger issue because we have devices all over the place that are looking at data and there might not be you know, uh, large connectivity in those areas, uh, yet we need to address that particular scenario. So things like, do we have solar panels? Do we have batteries on devices to be able to send that data in? And then finally, we look at cost. So, you know, just to review, so we've got compute, capacity, creativity, connect, and cost. And you put those five together, and all of a sudden you have a really strong story around the value proposition for that software development that you're going to create. And you can see where you're actually going to get that return on investment. 
Okay, so you don't even need to look at the year over year because when I was thinking about uh, um, return on investment and the cost or the benefit for building software, of course, I'm not really at, at dealing it with at the organizational level. I'm you know looking at the actual code level, the project level, um, and you know, when we're dealing with object oriented technology, of course, reuse level and you know the ability to benefit from. Uh, building once or building libraries and making use of the multiple projects over multiple years. Um, but from what it sounds like, it, when, you, when you're looking at it from the five C's of, uh, of this uh, uh, creativity um, or this competency, um, you, you're not really looking at that reuse aspect of it. Is that true or is that kind of buried in, in this? I, I think he's buried, buried in it, right? So you're, it, it, there's almost a running joke among software architect, architects a little bit that you know that we design all of these object-oriented type worlds for reuse, but then we have actually never reuse anything because everything gets architected with so much complexity. Every software package is different, and then you know we we copy and paste it and reuse it that way. Uh, there, so you know, I think reusability is massive, right? So you take a look at capacity as an example. How do we get reusability across all of our applications in that capacity uh, piece? That's where the reusability lies. But I think if you focus wholly on re, uh, reusability, you you don't really see that bigger picture that comes up to the top, and you, then you don't have the enterprise picture, and that's really yes. where the true ROI is. Yeah, and I, you know, as I was even saying it, I was. You know, so having experiencing self doubt because uh, as as I was talking and as you were talking, um, I'm thinking that well, yeah, it, there's a lot of cut and paste, and yeah, really, what it is, it comes down to knowledge, and it becomes That's it. back. That's you know, exactly right. It's experience, and you know, you've got the mentorship, you've got the passed on knowledge, and you look at old code, and it doesn't even have to be six weeks old. You look at old code, and you go, wow. Okay, well, that's okay. It's it's good. It works. It works really well. But you know, if you spent another hour or two at it, you might find something you could tweak or a way to refactor it. There's always ways to try and improve uh, it give, given time. So you know, when you have a chance to look at your your past uh, efforts, there's an opportunity to uh, improve. So it's not so much just the uh, you know, using the libraries and reusing that code, it's that, that experience and that knowledge that you're bringing forward. Yeah, that, that, that's massive, right? I think when you look at reusability and you look at that return on investment, uh, the knowledge is the only thing that ultimately gets reused in software projects effectively uh, there. And so, you know, going back to your, that original statement that you made at the beginning of, you know, should companies become a software development company? Well, the, the problem with going out to a consultancy all the time is that you don't develop that repeatability because it's the consultancy that have the knowledge. You might own the IP, but the consultancy, those consultants have the knowledge. You know, and that's yeah. why at Sierra Systems, we deal with it, you know, we, we try and keep an 80-20 divide between full-time employees and subcontractors, 80% being full-time employees, because that's where our knowledge is. The best part of Sierra is not the logo, it's the people that work for Sierra. Absolutely. And, you know, that, that's really the, the, the beauty of this movement, if you will, it, it is the knowledge worker. Everyone becomes empowered by their own knowledge, and that that really is their benefit. Their what they bring to the table is is themselves. Yeah, 
Absolutely. You know, there, there maybe is one low-level topic, though, that I, I, I would bring up there from a repeatability perspective, and that's a deployment strategy. You know, and this is something that we focused on a few years ago uh, yeah. at Sierra across our different streams, and something that has just, you know, saved our bacon, if that's the right way to uh, uh, put it there. Uh, you know, multiple times, you know, deployment strategies are often afterthoughts, uh, but you know, our approach is it's a deployment strategy first, and then we understand the technology, the solution architecture, and everything else follows afterwards. And that deployment strategy is something that can be reused time and time again. The return on investment is massive with a deployment strategy. You think about taking a nap from dev test to prod to uh, UAT. Now take that out and expand it out in our experience across five, six, 10, 20 clients uh, there across three, four, five environments. Think of how much human error is there with these manual deployment uh, uh, events that occur. If you can come up with an effective deployment strategy for an application, you get some real return on investment just there. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more, Paul. I mean, I've seen so many things go sideways uh, when you spend so much time and effort making a high-quality product for it to go sideways at deployment. Um, you know, you're left to uh, trying to automate as much as possible as much as you possibly can with scripts, and even so, you know, there, you make mistakes when you're at scale when you're doing it over hundreds hundreds of machines or you know tens of environments. Um, so you know that that's where we're you know the cool things like Docker and other containerization type of technologies are coming into play. Are are you seeing that uh, those kind of decisions now being more forefront in in building up the idea or the proposal for a software project? Yeah, you know, we're, I think we're a little lost right now, right? So in the in the geek space the container technology has taken off and it's something that's well understood. Uh, in the operational space, it's not something that's that well understood yet, right? It's still, I, I would say, in its teenage infancy as uh, as a uh, you know kind of technology uh, there. But you know, this is this is ultimately where DevOps is coming out of, right? And being able to marry these two worlds uh, together of your development teams, your operations, being able to build in the container. And we don't care where that container goes, right? We don't care what kind of system it's going to move into. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a, a an absolutely big ticket item. And, and again, you know, as you look at this maturity of software development inside an organization, if you haven't considered containers, you haven't got that deployment strategy, chances are you're not doing software development and chances are you're not getting any form of return on investment these days, uh, There, but you're spending a whole bunch of money. Right. And, you know, so how do you, how do you take a, uh, I mean, we've got different sizes of organizations, of course, that uh, we have to be concerned with. The small ones are easier to adopt and move. And then the large ones have, uh, you know, uh, a, a real legacy to try and, and pull around um, getting into software. Perhaps they got more resources, but it's still a, a much greater and daunting task. Um, so, you know, how do you deal with the, those two different types of organizations when you're trying to get them to approach software in-house, you know, bringing in consultants and the experts to help them? How, how do you push them along? 
Yeah, yeah, helping them understand where their shmi is, right? So yeah, I, I worked with an organization, this was several years ago, and I, I got injected into a project that was go, been going for about six months. It had about 12 months running on it. Uh, the client came back and said, look, we, we don't have a clue really what's going on. And so they brought me in to help with the vendor. And the first thing I asked was, you know, give me a scope or a vision document. You know, where are we going with this? And their comment came back with, it was, well, we don't have it. Uh, they were waiting for the vendor to do it. And I'm like, Really? This is your knowledge. You guys should be the ones developing this. So, you know, it's got to be this. The SME has to be inside that organization. Yes, and I, I, I um, I'm having experiences with that with larger organizations trying to find, you know, the the um, evangelist, if you will, at the C level, <laughs> in the C suite that, yeah. that wants to champion this and and uh, be on board. Uh, and it's a real tricky, uh, tr- tricky um, path to walk. Uh, we're going to have to take a quick break, Paul. We'll be right back. Hopefully, we can deal with some of our sound issues. I, I know we're getting a couple of echoes and things like that. So, we'll try and resolve those during a break. All right. Thanks, Paul. We'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Join host Sandy Giroux each week for Leadership and Life. This program illustrates different aspects of leadership and shows you how it's not just confined to the workplace or even our job duties. You'll hear more about the human side of leadership, which includes connecting on a non-work-related level. In fact, a lot of what happens on this level definitely affects how leaders are viewed as such. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. How is your company's marketing plan? Could it use a little help? For most businesses, the answer is yes. Tune in each week to Marketing That Won't Break the Bank. Host Janet Kunst and her guests will show you how and where to bring your marketing to the next level. Each show will feature action strategies that you can implement right away and see results. We'll make this easy for you. Start by tuning in every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You are tuned into The Art of Software 
with Martin Lacey. To connect with the show today, you may call into 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd prefer to send an email, you may send it to m.lacey at laceytechnology.com. Now, back to The Art of Software. Hi, and welcome back to The Art of Software. We're talking today with Paul Twig, who's the VP of Technology and Innovation at Sierra Systems. Paul is helping us navigate the, the, the waters and understanding how to demonstrate the value of software within business so that they can adopt the mindset of building innovation into their business through software. Now, it's a tricky sell or tricky thing to try and get the C-level suite, the, the executives, to, to understand the benefits of uh, making software as a, um, not just a tactical uh, choice, but a strategic choice, and how you move your company so that it can adopt software practices in, inside so that it can help build its vision of where it wants to go, uh, getting whatever resources it needs in order to make that vision a reality. So we're going to continue on our conversation with Paul and how we pull those operational aspects into an organization. Uh, we were just talking about DevOps, which is the development operational aspects of software deployment, a critical aspect of making sure the, the process is repeatable as well as shrinking the time frames for that uh, delivery cycle. So as you see, the large organizations are now adopting cloud and cloud computing uh, are doing uh, releases continuously. So that there's that whole continuous deployment cycle that you know, small businesses to large businesses uh, haven't really been able to grapple, grapple themselves around um, unless they're a major software organization. So Paul, how do you get this concept of continuous uh, delivery or the DevOps mentality into the C-suite. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think you nailed it there again, right? So in, in large organizations, it's so easy for companies because they have the, the resources, the capacity, the time to be able to put into developing processes and policies, uh, purchasing tools uh, to be able to put these things into place. You, your small organizations, they don't. And you know, when you go into your C-suite and say, hey, I want to build a software development division in the organization because we've got something that's rinse and repeat, something that can ultimately be used as IP in the organization that potentially we could yeah. resell, it, it's not seen as something that has extreme value in the organization. It's like, no, here's some capital expense. Go out, find a consulting company, which, which we're happy for as, as Sierra Systems, but yeah. ultimately is it in the best interest of that, uh, that organization? So you have to really identify value as in that long-term dollar amount that we're going to be able to bring back. Can, can I share an example with you? Oh, please. So, you know, rec recently we've been looking at, uh, at Sierra Systems, uh, you know, how, how do we do innovation, right? And uh, we're a consulting company. We don't have a research and development budget, uh, just like all, most of the consulting companies. Uh, there, It's a very simple business. You know, we have consultants who bill out to our bill out to our clients yeah we have a lot of knowledge and we talked about that in the last segment right and so yes. we looked at this and said 
how can we capture that knowledge and potentially reuse that knowledge, be able to build IP with that knowledge? Uh, right. There. And so we, we created an innovation program where we could start to build innovations off the side of our desk a little bit, but under, under a very structured process. This required centralized tools around Visual Studio, uh, VSTS. It required central tools uh, you know, around uh, documentation in Teams. Uh, it, it required uh, demo environments that we could deploy quickly to that we had admin permissions in. So we had to set up all of this infrastructure and now we have these innovation projects spinning out of Sierra like almost every other month, which is pretty cool. I love it. So you almost had, you're spinning off internal projects to, to do uh, cool innovations. And do, do those innovations then translate to something you propose as a concept or an idea to a customer when they're struggling, trying to figure out how to flesh out uh, an, an idea? That, that, that's exactly right, right? They become the demo of what we're trying to present in form of an idea. And anybody can build a PowerPoint deck. But if we can actually so show something that's working uh, there, then ultimately we have a problem. And this actually happened to us last year where we, we had uh, a, you know, a big internal rah-rah with our architects and we were talking about facial recognition in, in yeah. Microsoft Azure and talked about how cool it was. And we started prototyping some stuff and looking at it. And within a week, no kidding, within a week, one of, one of our sales guys had gone out to uh, a client identified a problem, mentioned to that client that, hey, we think there's a potential solution here. So, you know, super smart guy, we're able to put two and two together and all of a sudden we're there demoing and now, uh, you know, fingers crossed next week, we're up for a Microsoft Impact Award at the Inspire Conference. Wow, that is, that's really awesome. I mean, that's the way, that's really the way to drive innovation though, Paul. That's, that's, the, that's really good to hear. Yeah. So, you know, and ultimately we look at our internal cost and yeah, there has been an internal cost, but our return on investment is something that's very easy, easy to measure. Right. And so you're, I, I guess the, the point, you know, that I would always look at when we look at ROI is, you know, the, the hard skills of ROI, that, that cost versus, you know, cost that it's taken away, you know, maybe you've custom developed an application and before that you were paying subscription costs, looking at that ROI, that's pretty straightforward, but that's mm-hmm. not the true ROI of a, of a software development project. You've got to look at those soft skills too. And those soft skills, like like the deployment strategies, how long does it take for your infrastructure team to be involved in the deployment of an application? Uh, there, uh, you know, OCM is another piece. You know, the organizational change management, uh, user experience is is another piece. You know, how how valuable are your users to your organization? You've got to answer that with software development. Yeah, and you, you, gotta, you know, I, I find that e- even in large organizations, um, providing the resources that have the domain expertise, allowing them to be pulled away from their, their job, which is what their expertise is, and participate in the project so that, you know, they, they, that value, that expertise can become the intellectual property that the company now possesses and becomes an asset not just a, a walking asset that leaves the door every day. Um, so, you know, how do you, how do you play that in, into it when you're talking to the executives, making them understand or appreciate 
the assets that they have within the building and garner that intellectual property and make it something that the, the business can benefit from. Yeah, so I, I'd, I'd go along and say that, you know, that's twofold. Number one, you've got to put a value on the knowledge uh, there, you know, so we'll keep coming back to that knowledge piece. And, you know, so, for example, we developed a solution accelerator to do intranets uh, in SharePoint, not a product. It's a solution accelerator. And we get asked all the time that, well, couldn't I just develop this myself, you know, as we're trying to sell it into clients? And the answer is, yeah, you could. You absolutely could go develop it yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got a team of six SharePoint developers and six months of budget uh, to go and do it. Right. So, you know. It ultimately becomes that that cost of that knowledge. But the second point, which is more important, is I, I think this is your retention policy, right? It, especially in IT projects, but I think across the board, where if you can enable your teams uh, that are having ideas to be able to mature those ideas into something that can be recognized as helping develop and change the business, the C-level execs will be involved in those decision-making pieces, uh, you know, for example, uh, you know, our COO at Sierra Systems, Pat Kaiser, is hosting a, an innovation meeting at Sierra, an internal meeting in just a few weeks, you know, where she's now encouraged all of our different locations and markets to stand up and present all about innovation at Sierra because it's such a hot topic uh, that our C-level execs will buy in when they believe there's value, right? And when we put that knowledge, you know, we put a, a number to knowledge, i.e., you know, if one of these people leave us, it's going to take X amount of time to go redevelop that knowledge. Mm-hmm. On top of that, look at retention. I think you have an extremely compelling story uh, to go out to the uh, execs with. Yeah, it, and that, that makes sense to me. It, do you have any uh, uh, opposition to that, you know, sales job, if you will? You know, do they buy into it? Do they see the value? of their people and, and of course the value of uh, systemizing or articulating that expertise so that they can have a, a, a product or a, 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 an aspect of a project that does what they need to do. You know, the, there's always opposition, but that's what makes the job fun, right? <laughs> uh, the, uh, you know, you, you've got to be able to build that picture and, you know, that, yeah. that phrase of, you know, picture speaks a thousand words. Uh, they, you know, I tell my teams all the time, you know, if you've got if you've got more than four bullets on your slide, nobody's listening. Uh, there, right? You've got to be passionate about your technology. You've got to be able to see the future. You've got to better understand the risks, right? So when you articulate success, you've also got to be able to articulate failure, and that's what we've done with our innovation program. Ultimately, is it's that think fast, fail fast motto, right? And that's the motto we put over it. We're not scared to fail. We're not right. scared to pull the plug, right? And I think the C-level execs, when they see that, they feel a lot more comfortable in that we're not just going to burn large amounts of dollars. You know, as an example, you know, a large organization here in Alberta, where I'm based, uh, actually recently pulled the plug on their whole innovation team and reorged uh, there because they saw a whole bunch of dollar burn and not a whole bunch of value coming out of it. Right. So, you know, it's, it's more of just being a, being agile, I guess, if you will, right at the business level, being able to recognize um, that things aren't going according to, you know, plan and being able to, you know, take a, take a, a moment and, uh, you know, accept that, uh, well, just need to re-architect your, your vision, I suppose. 
Well, and some, some of our biggest learning points come out of the biggest failures uh, that we've had. Now, you know, should we fail on, a, on an enterprise project implementation? No, because we should be using experience to succeed uh, there because there's no room for failure. But when we're looking at innovations, when we're looking at that journey of getting there, it's, it's okay to fail. But we've got to be able to make sure we learn the lessons from that failure. Excellent point. Excellent point, Paul. Uh, thank you very much, Paul, for bringing this uh, knowledge to bear. Uh, we're going to take one last break, and we'll come right back with Paul Twig from Sierra Systems, helping us understand what it takes to get adoption of the software process and practice within your business. Thanks, Paul. We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. How is your company's marketing plan? Could it use a little help? For most businesses, the answer is yes. Tune in each week to Marketing That Won't Break the Bank. Host Janet Kunst and her guests will show you how and where to bring your marketing to the next level. Each show will feature action strategies that you can implement right away and see results. We'll make this easy for you. Start by tuning in every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Join host Sandy Giroux each week for Leadership and Life. This program illustrates different aspects of leadership and shows you how it's not just confined to the workplace or even our job duties. You'll hear more about the human side of leadership, which includes connecting on a non-work-related level. In fact, a lot of what happens on this level definitely affects how leaders are viewed as such. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. You are tuned into The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. To connect with the show today, you may call into 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd prefer to send an email, you may send it to m.lacey at laceytechnology.com. Now, back to The Art of Software.
Hi, and welcome back to The Art of Software. Today we're talking about the return on investment for software projects and trying to get businesses uh, on the bandwagon for adopting software in-house, making their business more innovative, uh, making their businesses more profitable in turn, and uh, how to go about that process. We're talking with Paul Twig today from Sierra Systems, and we're just talking about the continuous improvement cycle, how we get the C-level suite to buy in and uh, demonstrate the, the true benefit and value of um, the intellectual property that, uh, that you know, building software provides. So, Paul, when we talk about intellectual property, how, how easy is it for businesses to recognize that they actually, there is a value, there is intellectual property in the software that they're proposing or that they might be running their business on? I, so many businesses, this is all they make, what they make money on, right? I, you know, I yeah. think uh, Microsoft there with their own Windows phone, that, uh, you know, almost an epic failure as a piece of hardware uh, there, but through their IP actually made more money from other vendors rather than they did from their own sales uh, on that phone. Um you know, so I, IP becomes everything, but you know you you've got to think about IP at the beginning of the project, right? So is it is it something that does have rinse and repeat? Something that can be applied to the industry? Something that can be applied throughout the organization? Mm. Uh, there, you know, and and I think a, a lot of a lot of software developers, and you know, we we go through the ranks, right? You know, that junior rank to you know, we think we're an advanced software developer architect. Uh, then I think you know, when we start off, it's all about just let's solve the problem problem in front of us you know we've got yeah. a problem let's write a line of code and we'll go solve that problem and it works perfectly fine but what what those developers miss is once that product goes live there's a dependency on that product now that requires you to potentially make changes and it's there where you start to see that return on investment or lack of because all of a sudden it costs hundreds, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars to start replacing lines of code in an application. Right. So, you know, you, you really have to be forward thinking in and how you're going to be applying your top technology or your software to your business. Yeah, you, you, you gotta you gotta see ahead, right? You gotta see what that game, the end game is, right? If you're building this enterprise uh, scalable software that can never go down, make sure you build into that piece of software enough auditing, enough logging, enough capability so that you can do updates without. Uh, any changes happening. That's what we're seeing now with the SaaS-based cloud technologies, right? You, you you wake up the next morning and there's a new update there and it hasn't disrupted, mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, hasn't disrupted the organization. And that's the only way that they could do it. Could you imagine Microsoft sending out an email that says, oh, FYI, we're going down Friday and we'll be back up Monday with Office 365. Hope that's okay <laughs> with everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't happen. And it, it can't happen, right? It, yeah. They'd lose business overnight if they tried that. And, you know, even in uh, some of the organizations I'm working with, you know, we're dealing with industrial applications and it's on the plant floor and some of this information that's trending out from plant floors are going to other divisions and that's being used to gauge orders and, you know, uh, in the Kanban type of structure, uh, you know, project what, what needs to be pulled from the next part of the factory process. So this stuff just can't go down. And, you know, it, it's building that resilience into the, the software systems and the connectivity. 
uh, between the interorganizational dependencies, um, you know, and how you keep that whole whole ship moving and flowing going forward. Um, just there's an immense amount of um, you know moving wheels, if you will, uh, gears to keep the whole thing flowing. Um, so when it comes to building the applications, you have to have that level of resilience and uh, sophistication, if you will, of the application so that it can um, be deployed um, uh, in packages, in, in your containerized environments, and then uh, rolled out or rolled back if there's a problem in a large-scale enterprise. Yeah, you know, and I, I would say there's plenty of decision makers in, in organizations, small and large, that are scared to stand by decisions that they're making. And you know, th- these decisions ultimately, maybe because they don't have the background or the hindsight to be, you know, to be making those decisions, but ultimately it's these decisions that define how this software product will work. You, know, you see in organizations all the time these pe- penny-pinching IT uh, kind of uh, thought processes where let's just add a Band-Aid, let's just add a Band-Aid. But you know, we're working with one organization right now in the not-for-profit sector, and uh, you know, their IT director, extremely strategic and works extremely well, and you know, identified a $2 million ROI by spending several hundred thousand dollars on new software. Right, and and that's that's what's tough for people to understand is sometimes if you actually you actually have to spend money to be able to save money later on. Why? Because you get newer tools, you get more automation, and you, you're able to actually do things a lot faster with a lot more insights into your data. Yeah, it seems to be a um, almost a, why do I have to make this argument? Argument. It's like, why, why should you maintain your hotel? It looks great right now. Well, you know, it's moving forward in the future and, you know, think forward. And that's the, that's the, the I think the big challenge is trying to get um, the, the understanding of the long-term value of adopting software as a practice internally and how that could even translate to helping the organization be more agile. Yeah, yeah I, I come back to that thought earlier about organizational change management. If you have a good strategy around organizational change management, ultimately, I think you'll be able to buy into a piece of software, right? Because your end users are going to use it and there's going to be value there. If it's just a bunch of IT folk rolling out a piece of software, uh, they're and, you know, unless it's something that everybody's shouted for and you know you've developed the perfect piece of software, chances are it's going to be used for a little bit of time and then it's just going to stop being used. Take a look at the the models on the app store, you know, around gaming, right? How sometimes games are used and sometimes they're not used. Yeah, and I I think that's the, you know, that's the, I guess, the downside of software development. If you don't get the right people on your project, and I especially mean the domain experts, the people in your business to be part of the project, then you won't realize uh, the p- true potential, and you're you're really it becomes an IT project and not really a business project. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't. You know, ultimately everything is driven by the business. You know, even in an IT consulting company, you know, we're IT people. Everything's still driven by the business. If there's no value at the end of it, then why bother doing it? And there's lots yeah. of really cool things that we can do, but if there's no value, don't do it. And if there is value. Define it well enough for your C-level execs to understand. 
that's an, that's a beautiful way to to leave this topic. I think, Paul. Uh, you know, the the value is you know making sure that what you're building will be used by your um, by your community at large. Get them involved, and uh, you know, there's no point in going forward if you're not going to be bringing value to the table. There's lots of things we can build. Just have to build the right things. So I think uh, thank you very much, Paul, for helping us articulate that uh, that need to to get uh, you know businesses on board uh, and understanding what software can do for them and uh, you know what they can do for their business by adopting uh, software in the right way. Um, so thanks again, Paul. It's been wonderful talking to you. Uh, I hope we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me on, Martin. Thanks again. Uh, we'll be back uh, in a couple weeks' time with the next episode of The Art of Software. Thanks again. I'm Martin Lacey from Lacey Software Technology Corporation. Hey. Thank you for listening to The Art of Software. Be sure to join your host, Martin Lacey, again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week.